0: I'm reminded of a story of a frog who was lonely and desperate for some female company. This frog had heard stories of his friends who had met princesses who had then kissed them. They had then turned into a prince and they lived happily ever after. But this frog could find no princess. And so, it being lonely and desperate telephoned a psychic hotline to find out what his future would hold. The frog was told by the psychic, you're going to meet a beautiful young girl who wants to know everything about you. Well, the frog was thrilled, thrilled beyond belief that there would be a young beautiful woman who would want to know everything about it. The frog asked the psychic, excitedly, that's fantastic. Where will I meet this one who will want to know everything about me? At work? At a party? No, said the psychic, in a biology class when she dissects you. I know it's a corny joke to begin the sermon. We laugh at it. We think nothing of it. And yet the mere mention of a psychic uh, references us to the occult. And it is no laughing matter when subject matters like this come before God and how God sees it. Unfortunately, today, there's a rise in both in the fascination with the occult in our culture and a desensitization of the dangers of the occult, even by Christians. The celebration of Halloween during this time and the growth of its participation year after year by Christians is indicative of how the cultural desire and interest in the occult has made its way into the mainstream. Just go to the local bookstore and there is now a section, a genre on the occult and the supernatural. Television shows and movies are replete with witches and sorcery, demons and devils, the undead, zombies, magical beings with magical powers, and we don't seem to bat our eye and seem to even be concerned. Computer and handheld games are full of themes relating to the world of fantasy, witches and demons, and the list goes on. Whether we want to admit it or not, the occult culture has made its way into our generation What is our response as followers of Jesus Christ? And so this morning we continue our series in culture wars. And this morning we'll be looking at the occult culture. We've been looking at cultural practices and beliefs that are a part of our environment that we have often not filtered through a biblical grid to see if it's something that we accept or begin to transform for Christ. Only when we are introduced to an opposing cultural belief, a different way of acting and practicing, are we then made aware that the cultural practices of our day is not congruent with the Scriptures? Because it is a Christian's responsibility to engage, to transform the culture in which we live for Jesus Christ. How do we engage in a cultic culture? How do we engage this culture that has made its way into the mainstream And any opposition to it makes us look very boring, narrow-minded. People who simply need to loosen up. Go with the flow. Don't be so stiff. It's only for a little fun. And you know what? No one gets hurt as we are simply interested and fascinated by the world of the occult. How do we engage a culture such as this? We want to look through the lenses of scriptures this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verses 9 to 12. And we're going to be looking at a lot of verses uh, this morning, so be ready to turn to it. We begin in Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verse 9 to 12. And as you're turning to it, I think it's important, number one, to begin by defining the occult. What is the occult? Number one, defining the occult. The word occult means hidden. Hidden. That's what it means, hidden. But today it's used as a catch-all word to describe practices and beliefs that deal with supernatural powers in the spirit realm whose power and authority do not come from or is approved by the one true God. Let me repeat that. When we speak about the occult, it's a catch-all word today to describe practices and beliefs that deal with supernatural powers in the spirit realm, whose power and authority do not come from or is approved by the one true God. And if it does not come from God, then where does his power come from? It, of course, comes from the other source of power, that great deceiver, Satan, and his demons. When we speak about occultic practices, it ranges in extreme from Satan worship, which we would all say is an occultic practice, to what some may consider innocuous, harmless, like simply reading the horoscopes for fun. Both extremes and everything in between is what the Bible calls the occultic practice. And those who believe and practice in the occult are trying to do mainly two things. They're trying first to predict the future trying to find out something about the future. And secondly, they are trying to manipulate events, change people, change the conditions through powers apart from God. Occultism has been with us since the fall of man. It is evidenced in ancient civilizations until today. And our great fascination with it in the 21st century begins in the previous century, at least in America, where during the counterculture days of the 60s, at least in America, with the rebellion and the drug-induced world of the 60s, there's now a renewed interest in astrology, divination, magic, carries on into the 80s and the 90s with the New Age movement continuing until today. How does God view the occult Deuteronomy 18, verse 9 to 12, one of the most comprehensive passages in the Scriptures for that which God finds an abomination, that which He is disgusted with, that which He detests. Verse 9. When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. Now, the context of this passage is that Israel is about to enter the promised land. There was a pagan people living there, and their pagan culture was permeated with idolatry and paganism, the occult. Knowing the nature of the Israelites, God knew He needed to warn them explicitly to avoid certain things, or else the culture of the pagans would be assimilated into the culture of the Israelites. God says in the following list, everything that I talk about is an abomination. I'm disgusted with it. I hate it. I detest it. I want you to have nothing to do with it. Verse 10 to 11 gives us that list. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or is a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or is a medium, or is a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. God is disgusted, number two, of the occult. God's view of the occult, number two, he is disgusted by it. We can group verses 10 and 11 into three general categories. The first is divination. What is divination? Divination simply is the attempt to predict the future. The second general category of occult practices is something we call magic. In modern day, they spell it with a K, M A G I C. K. What does magic try to do? Magic tries to change the future or circumstances. The third category or general category of occult practices of that time and today is something we call spiritism. What is spiritism? Simply, spiritism tries to communicate with a spirit or the dead to somehow gain a special knowledge or special information. These three general categories that are used in the Old Testament can be seen in today's modern forms of occultism. Let's take a look in greater detail. The first group of occult practices is divination. Divination is an old term based on the Latin, "divinare," which simply means to foresee. And so the old term is divination. The new term, the modern term, term is fortune-telling. It's one and the same and in divination, one tries to supernaturally gain hidden knowledge to somehow know the future. Of course, this ability to, to foresee or to foretell is steeped in demonic practice. A diviner is one who finds or practices divination. A diviner is one who tries to predict the future events, try to find lost people, lost or hidden objects. And so today, unfortunately, in a lot of police forces around the world, they use psychics to try to find dead bodies or try to revive cold cases. And uh, if it's actually working, everyone would be using it. But it's a joke. Modern manifestations of divination would include astrology, The using of the alignment of the stars and the planets and the phases of the moons to somehow predict the future. Fortune-telling is a modern manifestation of divination. The using of your palm, tea leaves, tarot cards, crystal balls to somehow tell the future. Interpreting dreams would fall under this category somehow to interpret your future. In fact, it gets quite silly in our attempt to want to know what the future holds. Do you know what phrenology is? Phrenology is using the bumps on your head to determine your future. I felt my head. It's full of bumps. Does it mean my life will be rocky? I don't know. But people actually believe this. There's something called molesophy. Do you know what that is? That's using the moles on your face to determine your future. And it's not dermatology. Ridiculous. And yet people believe this. The Bible tells us very clearly in the Scriptures that only one knows the future, and that is God himself Everything else is a deception. Ezekiel 13, verse 8, Jeremiah 14, 14, Isaiah 44, 25 tells us that God alone knows the future. It is His prerogative, it is His right to know. We don't have that right. So people like Nostradamus are false prophets. Because in the scriptures, the Bible tells us a true prophet of God receiving the true prophetic word of God is always 100% correct. Anything short of 100% accuracy is a false prophet, and in the Old Testament, that prophet is to be put to death. God alone knows the future, everything else is a sham. But you say, Pastor, but I've seen this and I've seen that. They were so accurate. But if you think about it, how accurate are they? Satan knows us well. He is a network of demons that examines our life. We are creatures of habit. He can make a very educated guess about what our future would be like based on how we live our life. It's no secret. And yet the one who can alone can predict the future is God. The second group of occult practices is... In an umbrella category called magic. Magic without the K, M A G I C, is often used to describe what you see in the Vegas shows David Copperfield, Chris Angel, sleight of hands, illusions. They've not sold their souls to the devil. It's just simply sleight of hand magic tricks. But magic with the K, M A G I C K, is a technical term. It refers to a group who uses charms and spells, sayings, rituals to change the future and control the circumstances and events of one's life. Under this umbrella would include paganism and witchcraft. This would include anything to do with witches and warlocks and wizards who are practitioners of the magical arts. It would include charmers and Enchanters who demonically cast spells and manipulate objects. This would also include the wearing of good luck charms, amulets. Voodoo would fall under this category. Animism. Anything that tries to change one's lot in life, tries to control life's events for the better or for the worse. And yet the Bible also is very clear that there's only one, who is sovereign over our lives, only one who can control and change the course of our life, James chapter 4 verse 14, Proverbs 27 verse 1, and that is the one true God. Any other attempt to change what is God's prerogative is an abomination to Him. He detests it. The third group of occultic practices can be classified as spiritism. This is a desire to contact a spirit or the dead for some sort of special revelation or special knowledge. Those who practice this are called spiritists or mediums. If you hear the term necromancer, a necromancer is one trying to contact the dead. The Bible is very clear that one cannot contact the dead. If they cannot contact the dead, then who are they contacting? They are contacting demonic spirits. And mediums and spiritists do so through things we call seances, channeling, clairvoyance, telekinesis, apparitions, telepathy, games such as the Ouija board or spirit of the glass. A lot of these things can be illusions or trickery, but a lot of it is demonically influenced, demonic manifestations. And God is very clear in the scriptures. We are not to talk to the dead, which we can't, and we are not to contact evil spirits. Only God can know the things of God, 1 Corinthians 2.11. And yet here we are trying to gain special knowledge to the dead. Verse 12. For All who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. Verse 13, you shall be blameless before the Lord your God. God, if he has not made himself clear, says everything that is associated with these things is an abomination to me. I hate it. I detest it. I'm disgusted by it. It doesn't matter if it is fake or a pretend or if it's demonically powered. God condemns it all. And so here, you and I, in the culture in which we live, we say, Oh, pastor, settle down, chill. It's harmless. Having a little fun. Just interested in it. Let's read about it. If this is something God hates, why have we as Christians today accepted it as if it was okay? If the heart of God says he's detested by these things, why do we lessen the impact and say, well, no, God really doesn't hate it? We've been influenced. The media, the culture, Satan has has so influenced our environment that we accept it. But like what we talked about the past two weeks on the homosexual behavior and sex outside of marriage, if God is not pleased with it, then we are not to dabble in it. We are not to do it. It's as simple as that. It's because we are ashamed of the Scriptures, as we talked about last week. It's because we don't know the Scriptures and what it says that we allow the occult to permeate And make its way into our life. God detests it. But there is such a draw in our generation today. And so number three, we want to talk about the allure of the occult. Number three, the allure of the occult. What makes it so interesting? What's the allure of it? Perhaps Romans chapter 1 verse 25 can shed some light. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 1. Verse 25 Romans 1 says this Paul writes Who exchanged the truth of God For the lie And worshipped and served The creature rather than the creator Who is blessed forever And that's what we've done We've exchanged the truth of God For a lie We rather worship the creature Rather than the creator We would rather worship ourselves than God because at the foundational level of why we are attracted to the occult, the allure of the occult is because of the exaltation of man. We want to exalt ourselves. The allure of the occult at its fundamental level because of sin is the exaltation of man. We want that which is God's. And what which is reserved for him. And so we try to gain knowledge that is God's for our exaltation. We try to get power that is God's alone for ourselves. We want to know about our future. And if we don't like it, we want to use certain powers to alter it, to change it, to correct it for our good pleasure. And that's why we're so fascinated by the stories of the occult and the supernatural. Because somehow we can change our destiny. We can change our fate. That's a common theme that runs through our 21st century media. And so we use divination or spiritus to know what the future holds, to have power over what we think is our lot in life. We take what is reserved for God and Him alone and we take it to ourselves and that's the allure of the occult, to have power, to have knowledge more than anyone else. But the allure can bring with it danger. So we talked number four about the danger of the occult. What is the dangers of the occult? The danger of dabbling in the occult is allowing a substitution for the one true God in our life. The danger of the occult is substituting something for God. And by doing so, by removing God in our lives, we give Satan a foothold. Turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19 and 20. Look what the Bible says. Isaiah 8, verse 19 and 20. And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards, who whisper and mutter, shall not a people seek their God, should they seek the dead on behalf of the living to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. People would rather choose the dark things over the things of God. Why? Because when people stop believing in God, they will believe in everything else and anything else. When people stop believing in the one true God, when he has been substituted, then we will believe in everything else. And the prince of this world, Satan, the devil, knows that. Can you imagine how foolish we are? We are willing to substitute the one true God to believe in a piece of wood. To believe in a one true God is not sufficient for us, and so we will believe in a porcelain figurine. We have replaced God and His protection and think that a rabbit's foot or a piece of paper blessed by Buddha or snake eyes, a dice hanging from our car will somehow give us that extra bit of luck. The prince of the darkness of this world, Satan, knows that we are so susceptible to replacing God. That's the dangers of the cult. We substitute God. And so what does he do? He thinks of, of a thousand variations of the same occultic practice to blind the eyes of men and women. To somehow find a substitute for God, Whatever floats your boat. So you know what? Everyone's got a hand. Everyone has lines in their hands. And so Satan says, you know what? What a great way to know about your future, looking at your hands. But you say, well, you know, my hand's always sweaty. Satan says, no problem. You don't like your hands? I'll give you tea leaves. You like tea leaves? Very Asian. You don't like tea leaves? No problem. Coffee beans, if you're a coffee person. You don't like coffee beans? No problem. Like the ancients, the intestines of animals. Animals. You see how ridiculous that is? But yet, Satan has a variation for every occult practice, whatever fits your needs, substituting that which is God's for something that is useless, and He has us. That's what King Saul does in 1 Samuel 28, verse 4 to 8. Because of his sin... He has stopped following God. God no longer speaks to King Saul. It's his fault. And yet King Saul wants to know about the future, especially with the large army of the Philistines camped at Shunem, surrounding his own forces at Gilboa. And because God does not speak to him, he seeks the counsel of a witch, a medium, a spiritus at Endor. Saul has found a substitute for God. He's trying to defy the will of God. And the danger of it is once God is substituted, Satan has a foothold. And he's licking his chops full of joys because Ephesians 4.27 says he's got a foothold. And once he has a foothold, you better watch out. He can gain control. For one who does not believe in Christ, a non-believer, then the full extent of this can be demonic possession. But we believe that a Christian indwelt by the Holy Spirit cannot be demonically possessed, but can be oppressed. So when a Christian dabbles in the occult, you are inviting demonic spirits to oppress you, to bother you, because we have substituted the one true God for these things. Instead of turning to the Almighty God to protect us, now we put our trust in a piece of wood, an amulet, a stone, a good luck charm, a piece of paper. Even a cross sometimes can be a hindrance. We trust more in that wooden cross, that silver cross, than in the one who is able to protect us, God himself. My friends, we must be vigilant that we never give Satan a foothold in our lives. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Satan is an adversary. He's waiting for you and me to let our guards down and he will devour you. Doesn't matter how he gains entrance. Doesn't matter how he gets a foothold. Remember, he's ready to pounce. So every single one of the occult practices that you allow in your life, even though it is masked, is a major door opener for the dark side. You are taking a big chance. You are rolling the dice for yourself and for your entire household of allowing evil spirits to bother you. Be careful. It is dangerous when one substitutes God for something else. But we know about the allure of it. We know about the dangers of it. But why is the occult practices made its way into our generation? Number five, the masking of the occult. How is the occult masked? The masking of the occult, number five, is because of cultural acceptance. We have allowed it into our environment and in our generation to the means of acceptance. You know, people like to think they're smarter than they really are. They say, well, pastor, do not worry. If ever there is an old woman that has a crooked nose wearing a hood inviting me to the forest, don't worry, I will not go with them. It's probably a witch. Don't worry, pastor, if someone's wearing a pentagram, outright satanic, I've got it under control. I won't follow them. Don't worry. Relax, Pastor. You see, you and I believe we can differentiate between what is harmless bad and what is satanic bad. But my friends, when you begin to think like that, Satan has you. Satan is smarter than you think. He knows through the media how we can differentiate between harmless bad, if there is such a thing, and satanic bad which is obvious. So he masks the occult in the spirit of cultural acceptance. And so we've done, we've begun to accept what the Bible says is an abomination. And it's going to happen more and more as we come to the time of the end. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. Look what Paul writes. Now the Spirit expressingly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith giving heed, note this, to deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons. Well, well, no, I'd, I'd never fall to the doctrines of demons. I'd never be influenced by deceiving spirits. I'm pretty discerning. Be careful. Because under the auspices of cultural acceptance, the occult has been masked. And so today, in the 21st century, witches are now cute. They're cartoonized. They are your friend. Not something to be afraid of. Wizards are the heroes, the protagonist. Conjuring up of spirits is something fun to do. It's a mystery. What will come out of the other side? Watching horror movies, not a big deal for a good scare because at the end, we justify in our mind the good triumphs over evil. And yet the majority of the movie is focused on the evil. Fun little dolls come alive. Oh, it's just but a puppet. Not a big deal. Good scare. Urban legends, animistic beliefs that were whispered in the darkness somehow is brought to life. The mainstream media says this is an urban legend and it may be true. So we begin to believe it and accept it. I watch a lot of travel shows and sometimes I envy them as they get to go to different parts of the world. And even in travel shows, you have this, this acceptance of the occult, these great travelers. They talk about the cultural experience and so they go to places like Thailand and Cambodia and and for fun they have their palm red. They go to a place like Haiti and they they visit a, a spiritist to experience the voodoo lifestyle. Nothing wrong. It's just the cultural practice of that day. And you as travelers get to experience it by doing these things. Some children, young people, they read things like Goosebumps, the series. The parents smiling. We're just happy our kids read. They read, no problem. Good for you. I'll buy you the whole series. So it's brought into the mainstream culture, and the cultural acceptance of it masks the danger of the occult because now we are desensitized. Satan's a smart adversary. Great Britain's Pagan Federation, which represents druids and witches, claims that TV shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Sabrina the Teenage Witch, both the live action and the comics, have fueled a rapidly growing interest in witchcraft among children. The organization averages 100 inquiries a month from kids who want to become witches. Can you imagine that? A spokesman for the Pagan Federation says his group is filling a spiritual need, picking up the baton dropped by the Christian church. I may have to agree with that last statement. Because we are not engaging the culture. We are not transforming it. We are not sending any difference. So we are dropping the spiritual baton. And we're ceding the culture to pagans. 100 inquiries from young little girls wanting to become witches. Most of us would say, oh, that's so cute. They don't know any better. Satan has them. Again, these activities may not seem like a big deal to you, but don't be surprised because the Bible says, under the surface of these innocuous things, harmless things, the Scripture says, the powers of darkness is working. It is insidious. It is ugly, and it seeks for your downfall. Parents, you have to be aware. You are responsible for what your children watch and what they read. Yes, that may not make you their best friend, but that's okay. And they may tell you, but everyone's doing it. Everyone's reading it. Everyone's watching it. And your answer to them, we are not everyone Just yesterday, I went upstairs to change for the Saturday evening service. My son wasn't expecting me to come, and as I walked in, uh, he was watching a show that he wasn't supposed to be watching, and he quickly changed the channel. I said, Son, what are you watching? He told me the show. I said, You know, we don't watch this in our house. He said, Bad Daddy. It's on the Disney Channel. I said, yes, I know. But we don't watch this in our house. But Daddy, and he began to list a bunch of names of his friends, of his friends who do watch it. Everyone's talking about it at school. Everyone's watching it. I said, son, everyone may be doing it, but we're not going to do it. Do you think he was angry with me? Absolutely. He pouted and he stormed off. Do I want to be like? Sure I do. Do I want to be the guy who always squashes the joy that children have? No. But the responsibility that God has given me as a parent, and it's not because I'm a pastor, it's because the word of God says it is an abomination to him And so, no, it will not be allowed in my house. I pray for wisdom every day. Sometimes it's hard to be consistent, I know, even in my own life. But I pray that God gives me the wisdom, and I pray that for you as well. You may be wondering, when is he going to talk about Halloween? Talk about it right now. Nine and a half years when I came to the Philippines, almost no one celebrated it. Today, it's everywhere. Now, there are many perspectives with regards to celebrating Halloween. One extreme says, oh, it's of the devil. I will never participate in this. On the other extreme says, what's the big deal? Just a day of fun. Everyone gets to dress up and and parties. God, God doesn't care. Dress up, get some candy, not a big deal. It's it's all in good fun. And then you got the middle of the road people, and they say, Well, Halloween gives me an opportunity to witness. So they ring the doorbell, I'll give them a candy, and then I'll hand them a tract. And however you want to justify in your mind, well, I will dress up, I won't dress up, I I will dress up, but only in cute costumes, I won't dress up in uh, demonic costumes. It runs the whole gamut, especially amongst Christians, how we should treat Halloween. I have my perspective on it, but I will not impose it upon you. Because the Bible is not explicit about Halloween as a celebration. And yet, I will tell you the origin and you decide if it's appropriate for a Christian to have any part in it. Because unfortunately, the mask, the masking of the occult for cultural acceptance says is just fun. The origin of Halloween comes from the Celtic people, and it's funny how Asians celebrate it when they're not even Celts. It happens before the time of Christ, they were a pagan people, the Celts. And here's what they believe they believe that their sun god grew weaker as winter approached. And as the days got shorter, the Lord of Death would grow stronger during this time as uh, the nighttime would extend. Their New Year's began on November 1. And it was believed that on October 31, which is New Year's Eve for them, the portal, the barrier, this is not true, between the world of the dead and the world of the living was made most permeable. That's, that's when the Lord of the Death gets to roam free. That's when the grim reaper would come for the souls of those who had died during that year. Very similar to the ghost months of the Asian calendar. So in October 31, the portals between the living and the dead was opened up, and here comes the grim reaper, the lord of death, collect the souls of those who had died. And to make sure that this demonic activity doesn't bother, bother a household, they put in jack-o'-lanterns, pumpkin carvings to scare away the demons. should Christians participate in a tradition that celebrates the coming of the Lord of Death? doesn't matter if you dress your little child as cute as it can be. You could be the cutest witch, cutest warlock. Can you imagine the heart of God? How grieved he must be That which he calls an abomination. And we as Christians dress up our children as these things. As if God doesn't care. I can't imagine what God is thinking. He must be so disappointed. I can't believe these people. I saved them. I gave my life for them. I tell them, I've given you victory over the occultic practices of this age. And you dress up, you and your children, as heroes and heroines of the things I call as an abomination. Does your heart beat the same way as the heart of God? Now, some of you say, Pastor, I'd like to dress up. I say, no problem. You can dress up any day of the week. If you want to dress up for Christmas Eve service, you come right on in. In your lion costume, you want to come in your pajamas as long as it's appropriate, you come. If you want candy, I'll buy you some candy. Whatever the justification you have, you need to filter it through a biblical grid. You want to celebrate being a skeleton with a theme of graves and ghosts, that should never be Because for one who follows Jesus Christ, the celebration of death is never taught in the Scriptures. It is the celebration of life and the one who gives life. Some are scared of the power of the occult. So we want to talk, number six, about the power over the occult. The power over the occult is Jesus Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you do not have to be afraid of Satan and the demons and the occult. I want to reference you to two verses. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. Ephesians 6, 11 and 12. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We have the power through Jesus Christ in the armor of God, and we've preached about that in a different sermon, to be able to withstand, overcome, to have victory over the devil. And we are also reminded that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's over the spiritual, demonic realm. And that power to overcome it comes through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We have the victory because Jesus Christ stretched out His arms and He proclaimed victory over death. The day Satan died, was when Christ died for the sins of mankind. And so as a child of God, one who is a child of God, I am sealed. If someone wants to put a hex on me, they want to put a charm on me, they want to curse me, it has no power over me because I'm a child of God. I'm sealed by the Spirit. He protects me. I'm not afraid. The child of God is sealed by God himself. And so some Christians, they know about spells and curses that have been put on them. And so they try to find a, a more powerful spiritist to overcome the curse. The Bible says it right here. The blood of Jesus Christ overcomes and declares victory over the occult and demons. I'm sure there's a lot of curses being thrown at me this morning. A lot of hexes. It doesn't matter. It doesn't affect me. I'm a child of God. He protects me. It's funny. I knew we were going to be preaching about the sermon topic uh, this weekend, and uh, we've asked many of you to be praying. There have been disturbances. I'm not going to tell you everything, but for example, the Laptop, which we tested last night, was working fine this morning, would not work. Try to hinder the work of God. And yet we claim the victory that is in Jesus Christ and through His shed blood. And I'm able to stand here this morning proclaiming the truths of the Scriptures without fear. The power over the occult is in your walk with Jesus Christ, is in your claiming the shed blood that he has propitiated upon you. Look at Revelations 12, verse 10 and 11. Revelations chapter 12, verse 10 and 11. Then I heard a loud voice saying in the heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brethren, that's Satan, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. Note this, verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. We are able to overcome, defeat the evil forces of Satan. Not by our own power, but here it is again. By the blood of Jesus Christ. It's right there. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Satan and his minions run away when we draw near to the cross. When we speak of the cross and of the blood. And then we have the fact that they overcame the devil by the word of their testimony. A Christian is weak when their testimony is not right with God. You see, when Satan has something on us, if we're living in sin, then we live in fear because we're afraid that we're going to be exposed. And Satan loves it when we live a life of sin because he says, I've got you now. And if you do anything for me, I'm going to expose you for what you've done. And so we run scared. Maybe I'll lose my business. Maybe my family will find out. And so I'm just going to be a nominative Christian and not rock the boat so that the devil doesn't do anything. We're more scared of the devil than we are of Christ. The Bible says they overcame the accuser by the word of their testimony. A Christian testimony. One that has nothing to hide. One made pure and clean by the shed blood of Jesus Christ can stand before the world and Satan cannot say anything. The accuser has nothing on you because the righteousness of Christ has been imputed upon you. You stand before him justified, declared righteous. That is the testimony of one who follows Jesus Christ. And then they do not love their lives to the death. One who lives a life for Christ, one who has turned over their life for Christ, is able to be victorious over the occult when a Christian walks in discipleship when a Christian says my life is no longer my own it is Jesus Christ for him and him alone that puts a shiver into the proverbial boots of Satan he is afraid when a Christian enters into a life of discipleship because now we understand that this life is not to be lived for my pleasure a Christian is now willing to give up certain things A Christian is now willing to be a testimony. He stands before the world and he says, My life is Christ and you can kill me, it doesn't matter. And that puts a shiver down the spine of Satan. That's what the Bible says. Willing to live a life for him. That's how we engage the culture of the occult. We stress the blood of Christ, we stress the cross of Christ, we make him preeminent in our lives. Our testimony as living sacrifices is how we engage the occultic culture. We live our life for Him in a life of discipleship. Because all Satan is doing is trying to scare us, it's all He's doing. I've told you my experience in 2002 and 2003 when I was still deciding whether to come to the Philippines or not. I was demonically attacked two times to put great fear not to come. Yet I'm a child of God, not a scratch. But those experiences put a little bit of doubt in my mind. Should I come? Do I want to experience this again? No sane person would want to. And yet by knowing the power of Jesus Christ, when I made a decision to move permanently here, Those attacks stop. Because Satan wants us to be scared. He wants us to run scared. And when we stand with boldness, claim the victory that is ours, he has no foothold on you. The power over the occult is centered upon Jesus Christ. Finally, what is our response to the occult, number seven? Our response to the occult. Would you write these three R words? The response to the occult, number seven. Repent, renounce, remove. Repent, renounce, remove. Acts chapter 19, verse 18 to 20. Acts chapter 19, verses 18 to 20. Paul is in Ephesus. He has preached the gospel boldly. Look what happens, verse 18. And many who had believed came confessing and telling of their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. The Ephesian culture was a culture full of the occult, spiritist, idolatry was all over the place, and yet convicted by the Holy Spirit, they experienced life transformation. They threw all of those things that disgusted God out. The Bible tells us, They first repented. They confessed their activities before God as a sin. Like any other sin, we must repent. We must ask for forgiveness, and God will forgive us. And we can have the victory over the dark things because we have Christ. Affirm that you are a child of God, and through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you are sealed. And then they renounced it. They said, we'll never have anything to do with it again. That's something we as Christians don't often do. We may get convicted and then we forget. We say, sorry, Lord, for doing this. Then we go right back doing it. Because we never renounce it and say, you know what, we're not going to do this again. I acknowledge that this thing, this movie, this show, this book, this practice does not please God. And so I'm not going to do it I'm getting rid of it I will change I will no longer wear this amulet I will no longer wear this good luck charm or or, or carry to me this piece of paper I will no longer read this series of books I will no longer watch this show because now I will draw near to God James 4 7 to 8 therefore submit to God resist the devil and he will flee from you Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. I renounce it. I will have nothing to do with it again. It's a matter of conviction. Finally, remove. Remove all aspects of pagan occultic practices in your life. That's what King Josiah did in the Old Testament, Second Kings 23 and 24. His predecessors before him had defiled God's temple and God's work In the country. And the Bible tells us that Josiah got rid of all the mediums and the spiritists in the land. The household gods, which must have been expensive, he threw those all away. The idols and all the other detestable things seen in Judah and Jerusalem. And here in Ephesus, in the New Testament, we see that they threw away their books and their objects and anything associated with this activity. I wonder how many of us are willing to do that. To remove the uncleanliness things of our home and our life out. Some of you may need to go home and to throw away a lot of books that that, that talk and are about these things. Some of you have to remove idols from your homes. Some of you may have to stop watching shows on TV and movies that are upcoming. I know. It's hard. Because you wanted to see how Walking Dead ends. Will they survive? The Vampire Diaries or whatever you watch. And it will take a conviction on your part to say, No, I will not continue in this Can you imagine inviting God? Hey, God, let's watch this together. God must be so disappointed. I gave up my life for you. And you watch things and you fill things with your mind, in your minds, which I call an abomination, that I'm detested by it. I bet you he won't even be there. I know it's hard because the culture says it's the cool thing to do and we are so ingrained that we say it doesn't affect us but it does because undergirding all of these things Satan is laughing his head off the powers of darkness see that the believers and the followers of Jesus Christ are no different from the world and therefore they cannot engage the culture Nothing changes. Like Josiah of old and the Ephesians of the New Testament, can you remove the things that God finds detestable? Because your heart needs to beat the same way that God's heart does. I've refused to do many things. I refused to be told my horoscope, even in fun. When I wasn't walking with the Lord, just for fun, I, I, I'd read it. I often wondered who wrote those things. Today, you will have a good day. Well, thank you very much, newspaper, for telling me that. Now I can go have a good day. Today, you will meet someone interesting. Wow, that didn't take rocket science to figure out. I meet a lot of people, they're all Interesting. But I realize God is displeased with this, and so I don't even want to be told what mine is. It doesn't matter, anyways. I refuse to have my palm read. I've got a really long line that says, I'm going to have a good life. It's a joke. Do not engage in it because God is displeased with it, even for fun. I do not watch horror movies. I used to. I really enjoyed getting scared. Because their depiction of the dark things do not honor God. Their depiction of the dark things focuses on the dark things. And if you want to be scared, I'll go to your home and hide and scare you if that's how you want to be scared. But those things that are portrayed do not give God any glory. And oftentimes the resolution of those movies or those shows have nothing to do with God. Yet we're told that only the power through the blood of Jesus Christ is the occultic powers overcome. I know it's hard to do, but we're called to engage to transform the culture. And I'm simply going to pray that God's going to give you wisdom to go back to examine your life, to examine areas that are unclean, And remove them and ask God for forgiveness so that you can be used as cleansed vessels for His glory. Only when we are clean can God use us mightily. That's what verse 20 says. After all these things happened, verse 20, the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. God can do amazing things when there's holiness. But if there's a hindrance of dirt and sin... God cannot do anything because he chooses not to associate with those things. A holy God can have nothing to do with uncleanliness, so he will back away if we choose to follow the occult. That's why a lot of our spiritual lives are not growing. You don't have a close walk with God because you still cling on to the dark things and invite God to your life. God says, wait, hang on there. You remove these dark things first. And then I will do amazing things through you. That's what happened in the Ephesian church. The Lord grew mightily and prevailed because those unclean things were removed. And the Spirit of God could work. May that be what is indicative of your life, ongoing from this day forward until the day we see Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the great reminder through Scripture even for me that I am called to examine my life. There are areas where I tried to exalt myself and belittled you. All power and knowledge is reserved only for you. May we be as humble servants realize that. If there's any sin, any dirt, any occultic practices, overt or subtle, through the media, through our actions, through our activities. I pray, Lord, that we as believers in Jesus Christ, every person in this church would take a stand, would live forth a life of cleanliness, a life that is transformative, focused, centered upon the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the cross so that we can go forth and stand firm when the attacks of Satan comes. And we will stand under the banner of the cross, which proclaims victory until the evil one. And for that, we thank you. Help us to live victorious lives until the day we see you. And we look forward to see how you can do amazing things through each person and through this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.